0: You're listening to the Inside Out Podcast, a cracked rackets and tennis channel podcast network production and powered by Midwest Sports. The purpose of this series is to determine the best American male tennis player at any given point in the open era. To signify which American male sat on top of the American men's tennis world, we award them the hypothetical championship belt. Here's the criteria I used in judging each of these players. Grand Slam titles, year-end rankings, popularity amongst fans, Davis Cup success, success on the American Junior Tour, and last but not least, head-to-head records. The post-Andy Roddick era for fans of American men's tennis has been far from ideal. With the rise of the big three and the increase in globalization of the sport, the glory days of Sampras and Agassi have become relics of the past. And while so many American women have achieved single success in the 21st century, no American man has won a major title since 2003, and the United States has not won a Davis Cup title since 2007. Despite these shortcomings, it would be disingenuous to completely write off 2010 through 2015 as a failure for American men's tennis. In fact, in the midst of all of the singles misery, an American doubles pairing just happened to put together the greatest stretch of doubles in the open era's history. And though the majority of tennis fans value pro singles results above all else, The accomplishments, longevity, and lasting impact of Bob and Mike Bryan exceeded all of their peers and make them the next recipients of the belt. Part 7 How do you value greatness? Before getting too into the weeds about 2010's American Men's Tennis, let me provide you all with some context about both me and the creation of this series. I entered this world on October 6th, 1995. While I'm certainly confident in my memory, I'd be lying if I suggested I have any recollection of watching Pete Sampras or Andre Agassi playing in their primes. In fairness to me, I was 7 when Sampras retired and almost 11 when Agassi played his last match. At that time, I was more concerned with convincing my dad to buy cookie crisps for me and my brothers than worrying about which American man was the best at tennis. The truth is that any opinions I formed about 20th century tennis, while certainly aided by the invention of YouTube, have come well after the actual tennis was played. However, I quite vividly remember Andy Roddick's playing days and what it felt like to root for his success. The backwards hat, the frosted tips, the visor, the joy of seeing him raise that US Open trophy and begging my mom to let me stay awake for the 2005 Australian Open semis. I also recall the frustration of watching a player clearly blessed with immense shoulder talent seem far more comfortable grinding behind the baseline, the heartbreak of the 2009 Wimbledon final, and the tears that followed. I don't know if it was solely because Andy and I were born in the same country, but I cannot deny that I felt an intrinsic connection to the ebbs and flows of his career. Regardless of his opponent, if Andy Roddick was on the court, I cheered for him to win, and while I may be wrong, I think all fans of American men's tennis felt the same way. After Roddick's career ended, things got tricky for both me and my fellow American men's tennis fans. This next point is not meant to be disrespectful to guys like Marty Fish, James Blake, John Isner, and others. They treated both the game and their opponents with immense respect represented their fellow countrymen with class on the court, and possessed admirable, never-say-die attitudes. They are also all fantastic tennis talents. That doesn't matter. The reality is that the emergence of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic soon overshadowed the entire men's game. Their accomplishments captured the attention of all tennis fans, regardless of those fans' countries of birth. It's hard to put into words. I think us in the commentary booth and on the sidelines and journalists, we have a hard time communicating and conveying what these three men have done for the sport. They have been so incredibly consistent over the past 15 years. For a mere mortal looking in, it's hard to imagine how they are still at the very top of the game, but they're used to the attention, so they have that going for them. I mean, it's incredible. Ten years ago, they were one, two, and three, and they're one, two, and three right now. We are all well aware of what the Big Three have accomplished over the past 15 years on tour. They've won 56 of the past 67 slams, captured numerous Masters titles, and spent countless weeks as world number one. And yet, their significance to the sport extends far beyond their many on-court accolades. As someone who grew up playing tennis in the U.S. during the late 2000s and early 2010s, the big three were the players both me and my fellow young peers looked up to and aspired to emulate. They were the players we'd see on television competing for the game's greatest titles, the players whose highlights we'd look up online. Coaches advised us to grind like Rafa, be calm like Fed, or be resilient like Novak. Not that it would have mattered, but I'm convinced that I lost 2 full years of development because of just how determined I was to use a K factor. I also remember seeing so many players using Rafa's babolat at the USTA tournaments I would travel to. In contrast, I don't recall hearing anyone say, man, I'm going to rock ankle socks like Marty Fish, or I just want to play like Robbie Ginepri, or Yeah, let me try that Isner-Prince racket. Those things just didn't happen. American tennis fans, young and old alike, wanted to model their games after and cheer for the sport's best athletes. And for the past 15 years in the men's game, those players were unequivocally Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. For all of the reasons stated above, I honestly grew disillusioned with American men's tennis between 2010 and 2015. The results put forward by American men during these times certainly added to my discontent. Here's some perspective for you. During his 13 year career, Andy Roddick won 32 ATP titles and reached 52 tournament finals. As a cohort, John Isner, Sam Querrey, Steve Johnson, and Jack Sock have collectively combined to win just 33 ATP titles and have reached only 61 finals in their 40 plus combined years on tour. Additionally, it doesn't help that only 8 American men have reached a Grand Slam singles quarterfinal since Roddick's win at the 03 Open. To make matters worse, just 4 men, Isner, Query, Ginepri, and Roddick have reached a major semifinal and only Roddick has reached a final during that same stretch of time. Isner, Sock, Query, and Johnson certainly have earned their place in American men's tennis history. Johnson, perhaps the most accomplished collegiate tennis player in history, Has won four ATP titles and has been ranked as high as number 21 in the ATP rankings. Able to move 10 minutes ago, somehow, Stevie Johnson wins Houston. A fighter, a problem solver, a guy who maximizes his talent level. Though he's failed to advance past the fourth round of a Grand Slam in singles, his bronze medal run in the 2016 Olympics with Jack Sock certainly earned him a place in this discussion. Though he first cracked the top 20 of the ATP singles rankings by the age of 23, Sam Query's career did not truly take off until the 2017 season when he reached the semifinals of Wimbledon and followed that up with a quarterfinal result at the U.S. Open, uh, I mean it's a really big deal for me. It's my first semifinal, and to beat beat Andy and to have it be at Wimbledon uh, was even a little more special. And um, you know, I just it was an incredible match. I, I'm just so happy right now. He ended his 2017 season with a 36 and 23 record and finished a career high number 13 in the singles rankings still query lacked the consistency year in year out to be considered a recipient of the belt the case for jack sock gets a little more interesting paul goldstein philip king donald young and jack sock that's the list of guys who have won back-to-back kalamazoo 18s titles of the four only one has won a professional Grand Slam event. Can you guess whom? In case you can't, I'll tell you. It's Jack Sock. Sock's natural ability has always been apparent to fans. Along with a career high in the top 10 in the singles rankings, Sock's four Grand Slam titles have all come in doubles. And of course, that means that Mike Bryan and Jack Sock have won back-to-back majors off the back of their success at Wimbledon. The first time that's been done, For 15 years, what a day that both will celebrate for a long, long time. Particularly enticing to American fans is Sox's enthusiasm for representing the country. He sported a USA paint job on his racket and captured two medals for the country at the 2016 Olympics, his bronze medal with Steve Johnson and a gold medal with Bethany Maddox-Sands. Sock also joins Isner and Roddick as the only American men in this era to win an ATP Masters singles title. However, Sock's resume, though impressive, leaves much to be desired. Only twice in his career has Sock advanced to the fourth round in a Grand Slam in singles, and he has yet to advance to the quarterfinal round or later. After finishing 35-18, 37-21 37-21 and and 38-22 and from 2015 to 2017, Sock put up a 9-22 record in 2018 and by the end of 2019 had fallen out of the ATP singles rankings. While some of Sock's decline in play can certainly be attributed to injuries, he has yet to show the consistency year in year out to be considered a recipient for the belt. that leaves John Isner. By far the most consistent American singles player of this era, Isner's accolades deserve quite a bit of applause. He has finished every season since 2010 inside the ATP Top 20 and has won titles in all but one of those years. Isner won his first and only Masters title at the 2018 Miami Open and has reached four other finals and seven semi-finals at the Masters 1000 level. John Isner is a Masters 1000 champion for the very first time. How fitting in our last ever visit to Key game. It's an American... ...that takes the spoils, the biggest title in his career, by some distance. What a week. May I present to you your 2018 Miami Open presented by U Men's Singles Champion, John Isner. Isner represented the country in Davis Cup in all but one season between 2010 and 2018 and is one of the few American men to win wins over Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and Rafa Nadal. While there's no denying that John Isner's career has been a resounding success, in comparison with his past American male peers, it does fall a bit short. I know exactly where I was when Isner knocked off Mahout in that 70-68 fifth set at Wimbledon. I can also confidently say That despite the historic nature of the result, I did not care whatsoever that he won. When I first sat down to write the belt in August of 2017, the numbers of Query, Johnson, Sock, and Isner weighed heavily on my mind. Even after Sock and Query's 2017 success, I was ready to look forward to the future and quickly move past both the bleakest statistical stretch in the Open Era's history for American men's tennis, as well as the men responsible for it. However, I clearly overlooked one entity during this stretch of time. They are the men with the clearest case for retaining the belt during this time period, and their names are Mike and Bob Bryan. It's hard to imagine any player eclipsing the career accomplishments of Mike and Bob Bryan. Um, They're the greatest doubles team of all time. There's no question about it. you got identical twins, one righty, one lefty, good-looking guys. Go out there to play a very exciting brand of tennis, an exciting brand of doubles. Together, the pairing has won 16 Grand Slams, the most of any duo in the Open era. They've also combined to win 39 Masters events, an Olympic gold medal, and four year-end Tour Finals. They ended every season from 2009 through 2014, ranked number one in the world, and finished number one 10 of 12 years from 2003 to 2014. Finals, and you finished number one in the world for the 10th time, 10 of the last 12 years. How important. Where do you put finishing number one versus other goals when you start a year? I mean that's always number one. Uh, Finishing on top at the end of the year is the biggest goal. Um, Everything else in between just adds to that goal. Um, You you have to be consistent to finish number one. You can't have any um, rough patches, any slumps. Um, Every tournament you got to bring it. And uh, we did that last year, you know. Even through some of our tough times, like the European season, I don't think we played our best, but we were getting points, we were getting results, and then we caught fire at the end of the year and, and kind of you know, blew it wide open. But um, yeah, those trophies, those little sculptures, um, you get them at the ITF dinner in Paris. Um, it's a black tie event, and being up on stage with those little clay sculptures is uh, everything to us. Perhaps more impressive, one member of the Bryan brothers has maintained a top 10 ATP doubles ranking since the 2001 season. They've won over 75% of their career matches, were a part of the 2007 U.S. Davis Cup championship winning team, and represented the country in Davis Cup in all but one year between 2004 and 2016. Throw in the seven titles Bob has won, and the four titles Mike has won at the Mixed Doubles Grand Slams, and it's easy to understand why these twin brothers are considered not just the greatest doubles player in American tennis history, but the greatest in all of men's tennis history. It's also safe to say, above any other American men's player in this time period, the most recognizable face would be the one Mike and Bob share. For 20 years, the Bryans have set the standard for what it means to be the best doubles team in the world. Will fans ever value doubles as much as they do singles? My guess is no. Still, one cannot deny the impact, excellence, and longevity of the Bryan brothers. They exceeded even the highest of expectations and earned themselves the right to be called the best American men in tennis. Oh, Before we wrap this episode of The Belt, have to give a huge thank you to our friends at Blue Claw Music and Thomas Ackley for their song America the Beautiful Hip Hop Track Remix, which you have heard used throughout this series. We also have to give a big thank you to the US Open, Wimbledon, the ATP Tour, and Tennis Channel's media teams for supplying the clips you heard used throughout today's episode That will do it for part 7 though, and look, the Bryan brothers continue to have success even to now, but The thing is, the imagination of American men's tennis fans certainly captured by others over these past five years. These next-gen Americans have had successes on the junior level, the challenger level, and they finally started to break through on the ATP level. They've captured the hearts and imaginations of so many. We break down their performances on tour thus far in our final edition of The Belt.